take our Bibles this evening and turn to Acts 22. <clears throat> Acts chapter 22 again this evening. <clears throat> and we'll pick it up in verse 10 this evening of Acts chapter 22. <clears throat> Acts 22 and verse 10 it says, and, and I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things uh, which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. Now the same hour I looked up upon him, and he, said unto, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord." And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death. And kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. And let's open with a word of prayer. So Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord, for another opportunity to come and to spend time considering your word, considering the truths that are contained therein. Lord, I pray that this evening you would give us understanding of your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us, you would instruct us through your word. Lord, I pray that this evening you would give me wisdom as I speak, give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that, Lord, everything we do this evening will bring glory and honor to your name. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> of course, this morning we looked at the first part of Paul's defense here before the crowd, okay? We said that word defense is that word apology, okay, or apologia, okay, from which we get our word apologetics, defense of the faith. And so he's doing more than just defending against the accusations. He's defending his Christian faith before the crowd. And we saw he did so by giving uh, his testimony is basically what he's doing here. He started out with his credentials as a Jew, okay, highlighting that he was born outside of the land of Israel, but he was brought up uh, in the Jewish traditions, he was brought up to, to know and respect the law. He was taught at the feet of Gamaliel, that respected teacher in Jerusalem. And so he was brought up to respect the law, respect the customs of the Jews. And indeed, as we saw this morning, he was a very zealous Jew. He was zealous towards God and towards the law. Perhaps more so than anyone else in that crowd gathered before him. Anyone else in that mob, he was a zealous Jew. So much so that he had persecuted the church. But of course, all that changed on the road to Damascus. 
And Paul recounted that for us in the next section. He, he told them about his conversion, how he'd met the Lord on the road to Damascus, how he realized that the one speaking to him was his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one he was so against. Paul realized in that moment that he had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In that moment on the road to Damascus, he, he realized his sin, he accepted Christ as his Savior. And then he humble, humbly surrendered himself to do whatever the Lord asked him to do. And he was told, we saw this morning, he was told to go to Damascus and await there for further instructions. And that's where we left it this morning. We left it with verse 11 where it says, And when I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And so he came to Damascus at the command of the Lord, waiting further instructions. And Paul now continues on in his defense to now demonstrate that he, you know, he hadn't forsaken the God of the Jews. Okay? He hadn't forsaken his God. He hadn't forsaken the God of their fathers. But rather the God of their fathers, his God, is the one who had called him to now preach unto the Gentiles. Had called him to preach the gospel message that they found so offensive. And so basically his focus in the second part of this defense is his commission his calling from god this morning we saw his credentials we saw his conversion and so i guess you could say this is the third point we see now his commission given to him from ananias it's given to him by god through ananias i guess you could say his commission look this there in verse 12 to start off with it says and one ananias a devout man According to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. Paul now goes on to give an account of the role that Ananias played in his conversion and his calling. Okay, he gives an account now of the role that Ananias, this man, played. And because <clears throat> this account here is told from Paul's perspective, okay, remember we talked about this three accounts of Paul's conversion. The first one in chapter 9, Luke is telling it from the third person. But this one in chapter 22 and chapter 26 is told from Paul's perspective. It's first person. It's Paul's own account. And so because it's from Paul's perspective, he doesn't mention anything else about Ananias. He doesn't mention Ananias' vision or Ananias' reluctancy to go and see Paul, which Luke tells us about in chapter 9. Let's just quickly go back there and read in Luke, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 9, sorry. Acts chapter 9 and we'll just read from verse 10 just sort of fill in a bit of the story here Uh, Acts chapter 9 verse 10 it says and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and to him said the Lord in the vision Ananias and he said behold I am here Lord and the Lord said to him arise and go into the street which is called straight and inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish for behold he prayeth and I've seen in the vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
So that's the section that Paul doesn't mention. He doesn't mention anything about Ananias' vision. He doesn't mention anything about Ananias' reluctancy to come and see Paul. And as I said, the reason is Paul's telling this from his account, isn't he? From his perspective. Instead, Paul focuses on his interaction with this man. That's where his focus is. It's on the interaction with Ananias. And he begins in verse 12 by introducing Ananias to the crowd. Remember, he's talking to the Jewish crowd here. He introduces him as a devout man according to the law. Just read there. It says, And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. So he introduces Ananias as being a very upstanding Jewish citizen. An upstanding Jewish citizen, a man of uh, great piety in respect to the the law, to to the Jewish customs. He, He says he's a man that's devout. He has a good report before the Jews. And this is deliberate on Paul's part, okay? The reason he introduces him like this is Paul's trying to, again, get the crowd on side, isn't he? He's trying to get them to listen, to pay attention. He's saying this devout man, this, this uh, devout Jew associated with me at Damascus, he's the one that God used to minister to me. He mentions this for the benefit of his Jewish audience. You know, in his later defense before King Agrippa, Paul doesn't mention Ananias at all. In chapter 26, there's no mention of Ananias as he gives his account of his conversion. And the reason is that it wouldn't have carried any weight before King Agrippa, would it? It wouldn't have meant anything to him. But here before a Jewish audience, this carries a great deal of weight. Perhaps some of them even knew of Ananias and of his faith and, and of his, the fact that he was a devout man. So the fact that a religious Jew, a, a devout religious Jew like Ananias would be the one that's sent by God to commission Paul should count for something before this crowd. That's why he mentions it like this. Uh, one commentator said this, he said, it is natural that Ananias' in- intervention should be stressed here and not in chapter 26, as the witness of a pious Jew would be valuable as a means of gaining the ear of the Jerusalem crowd, but useless before King Agrippa and an audience of Palestinian and Roman officials. That's the point, okay? That's why he makes sure, he mentions Ananias, and he mentions it in such a way, he says he's a devout man according to the law. He's trying to get them on side again, isn't he? Okay, get them to listen, pay attention. And he continues on in verse 13 through to 15 to declare Ananias' role in all this. Not only did Ananias come and give, you know, was the instrument used to heal Paul's sight, but also he was the instrument used by God to give him his commission. Let's just read from verse 13. It says, Came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, thou shouldest know his will. And see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Verse 14, so verse 13 quickly gives an account of how Ananias is the instrument to heal him. And then in verse 14, he starts out, he says this, And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee. So this is Ananias now speaking to Paul. This is what he said to Paul when he met with him in Damascus. Ananias said, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee. 
This is a distinctly Jewish title for God, isn't it? It's a Jewish title for God. It demonstrated to the audience that he still worshipped the same God, that it was the same God. It was their God who had commissioned him through Ananias. That's what Paul's getting at here, okay? Every single way, every point along here, Paul is very specific with his words. There's a reason why he says things the way he does. And he makes sure he mentions the God of our fathers chosen there because Paul's highlighting it's our God, it's your God. He's talking to a Jewish audience. He was the one who sent Ananias to commission me, to say that he had chosen me. That's what Paul's saying here. And Ananias here tells Paul that God has chosen him to do three things. Read verse 14 there, it says, And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. And so he tells him here that he's, to- he's chosen for three things. He's chosen to know the will of God, to know the will of God the Father, and he says to know the just one, or to see that just one. Now, who is the just one? Well, it's a title for the Messiah, isn't it? Okay, it's a messianic title. And so it's speaking of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul was chosen to know the will of God and to see the Messiah. And the third thing there, he was told to hear, uh, sorry, he was chosen to hear the voice of his mouth. In other words, he was chosen to be given direct revelation from God. That's the three things here that uh, Ananias tells him. He says, God's chosen you to know his will, to see the Messiah and to hear his voice, to receive direct revelation. And the purpose of these three was what? Verse 15. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. This was the purpose. This is what God had called him to do. This is why he revealed his will. He'd, he'd, Paul had seen the just one, seen the Messiah. He'd heard his voice. Why? So that he might witness unto all men. That's the point. That's what his calling was. This is the whole purpose of this revelation to Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He heard his voice so that he might now declare unto all men what he had seen and what he had heard. Notice at this point, Paul very wisely speaks of his commission here in in general terms. He says that he was chosen to speak unto all men. You notice that in verse 15? You remember earlier we read chapter 9, Ananias was told that Paul was to speak under kings and unto the Gentiles and unto Jews. But he doesn't mention that here in verse 15, Paul, does he? As he's giving his account, as he's giving his testimony, why? Why does he leave that out here at this point? Well, Paul's been very wise. He doesn't need to antagonize them any further, does he? He doesn't need to upset the Jewish crowd anymore by mentioning the Gentiles at this point. And so he simply at this point gives a very general description of his commission, that he is commissioned to speak unto all men, to reveal what he had seen and what he had heard unto all men. As we'll see, later on he'll mention the Gentiles, and we'll see the reaction. But for now, he keeps quiet about that. For now, he declares it in general terms that he has come to spread the truth unto all men. And what's that truth? Well, it's the truth that he found on the road to Damascus, that Jesus is the Messiah, The one they'd crucified is their king, is their Messiah they've been waiting for. Is indeed the eternal Son of God and Savior of all mankind. That's the truth. That's the message. 
that he has heard and seen, isn't it? And he is now given to reveal unto all men. And Paul now goes on to declare how after this, Ananias now abruptly called upon him to be baptized. Okay, verse 16. It says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. And wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. It seems very abrupt, doesn't it? He's just been given this calling by the Lord. And now in verse 16, Paul says that Ananias said to him, Why are you tarrying? Why are you waiting? Arise and get baptized. And at first reading, this verse seems to be teaching that water baptism is necessary for salvation, doesn't it? You read verse 16 there again. And why, sorry, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Seems like it's talking about <coughs> salvation through baptism, doesn't it? At first reading. That somehow, salva- uh, that somehow baptism is the means by which our sins are washed away. However, we must always look at difficult verses like this in light of the whole of God's word. In light of the whole of uh, the teaching of the word of God, and when we do that, when we put this verse in context, we understand that it's not teaching that at all. You know, the clear teaching of the New Testament is that baptism is an outward sign of an inward change, isn't it? An outward sign of an inward change. You know, our sins are removed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Water baptism simply is a symbol or a picture of that cleansing. It's a picture of what's already taken place. It's the illustration of the spiritual cleansing. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, speaks about that spiritual cleansing. Let's just turn there. 1 Corinthians 6. First <clears throat> Corinthians 6 and verse 11, it says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. There's the spiritual cleansing, the spiritual cleansing that takes place when we place our faith and trust in the Lord. And so it's faith alone in Christ that cleanses us. And you know, Paul's faith is referred to in this verse, isn't it? It's referred to by the phrase at the end of the verse where it says, calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord. And again, it seems to imply here in the English that he needs to do that now. He needs to call on the name of the Lord and get saved. You know, Paul's salvation experience has already happened, hasn't it? It happened on the road to Damascus. We saw that this morning when he was confronted by the Messiah. We mentioned this morning that, you know, when he was confronted by the Messiah, he cried out in verse 10, he said, What shall I do, Lord? And when he said, Lord, he's acknowledging who Christ is. He's acknowledging that Christ is his Messiah, his Savior, the Son of God. And so he accepted Christ, he was saved on the road to Damascus. You know, this is when he called upon the name of the Lord. And now Ananias is asking him to be baptized in response to that belief. And you know, the Greek that's used here in verse 16 makes that clear unto us. You see, the word here where it says calling on, in the Greek is an aorist participle, which means having called on at a previous time. That's what the Greek actually means. Actually means having called on. And so we can literally render this verse, having arisen, be baptized and wash away your sins, having 
previously called upon his name. That's a literal rending of the end of the verse. And so the point is, even the Greek, he supports the fact that he's already saved. He already received the Spirit. He's already saved and baptized and cleansed by the Spirit. The water baptism is just simply a representation of that. Something that he's now told to do in, you know, the same as us. As a first step as a new believer, be baptized in response to your salvation, demonstrating unto all what you've believed. That's what Paul's asked to do here. Demonstrate your faith now. Demonstrate what, what Christ has done for you by baptism. Take that first step of obedience. You know, Paul's point here with this section of his defense, where he talks about this commission given to him through Ananias, this section is all about showing that his calling... And his message came directly from the Lord. Now, this morning we talked about his credentials. He was clearly he was identifying himself with the Jewish crowd, saying, I was just like you. I was a zealous Jew. He talked about his conversion, showing how God had changed him. And now he's making clear that God called him. God commissioned him to do this. It came directly from the Lord. Even his baptism was ordered by the Lord. You see, Paul's point is for him not to have obeyed such a direct and confronting encounter with the Lord would have been gross disobedience, wouldn't it? Would have been gross disobedience. You know, Paul is simply responding as any devout Jew would have in similar circumstances. You know, he's asking them, if you like, to put themselves in his shoes. He's saying, put yourself in my shoes. If you've been going to Damascus and this light shone from heaven and you hear a voice saying that it's Jesus of Nazareth, what would you have done? And then you have a man come that's sent by the God of our fathers and he commissions you to go and preach and teach. What would you have done? He's, he's saying, put yourself in my shoes. Because the point is, any devout Jew who really loved and worshipped God would have reacted the same, wouldn't they? They would have responded exactly the same way as Paul. Well, at least they should have, if they genuinely loved the Lord. And that's Paul's point here. He's saying, I'm simply obeying the call of God our God, the God of our fathers, the God of Israel. I'm obeying his call upon my life. He goes on now, and, and this is our last point this evening, so second point or fourth point, if you want to put the two messages together. He goes on now to talk about the confirmation of this commission in Jerusalem, the confirmation in Jerusalem. Just look there in verse 17. It says, And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem... Even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance and saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. In this last section, Paul now describes how the commission that he received in Damascus was reaffirmed and amplified under him upon his return to Jerusalem. In verse 17, he tells us that he receives a vision and that his commission is reiterated to him through this vision from God. And, he's, and he makes a point of saying that he received this vision when? When he prayed in the temple. Okay, look there in verse 17. It came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. He says to this Jewish crowd, where are they standing? They're standing in the court of the Gentiles. They've hauled him out of the temple, haven't they? Because they are upset with Paul. They've accused him of all these things. They've dragged him out. 
And Paul now says to them in his testimony, he says, when I came back to Jerusalem, after my conversion, after my commission, I went to the temple and I prayed. I went to the temple and prayed. You see, one of the accusations against Paul was that he had polluted the temple, that he had no respect for the temple. Chapter 21 and verse 28, it says, they accused him of polluting this holy place. They, they, they accused him of having no respect for the temple of their fathers. You know, the temple they worshipped him for years, the temple of God. And yet here Paul points out this, this fact that upon his return to Jerusalem, he went to the temple to pray. He's saying nothing had changed. I still respected the temple. He's highlighting that fact for them, that even after his conversion to following Christ, he still respected the temple. And you know, that attitude hadn't changed even after 25 years. Roughly 25 years has now gone by. Nothing had changed. Paul still respected the temple, didn't he? That's, where, that's why Paul was in the temple when he was set upon by this mob. He was there what, worshipping the Lord, wasn't he? Through this vow, partaking in this vow with these men. He was there worshipping when he was arrested. You know, while Paul understood that the temple, its worship, the activities that took place there were all fulfilled in Christ, he still remained a loyal Jew who saw the temple as an important place within the Jewish culture, within the Jewish system. He still regarded it, didn't he? He held it in high regard, as did many of the Jewish believers. Many of the Jewish believers still went to the temple to pray. In Acts chapter 3, just quickly, Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. We know the story. They meet the 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 lame man. I don't get my words right. They meet the, the man there who's lame from his birth. But the point is there that you've got Peter and John going up to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer. You see, many of the Jewish Christians still respected the temple, didn't they? They still went to the temple to pray. They met there to pray unto God. And Paul wants his Jewish brethren, this mob that's before him, he wants them to understand that even though he's, he's had this conversion experience, he's met the Lord, he's realized that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he still respected the temple and worshipped the same God. That's what he's pointing out. He's saying, nothing changed. I still worship the same God. Indeed, it's while he's in the temple praying to God that God gives him this vision. He says at the end of verse 17, I was in a trance. Now, while he's in this trance, three things are stressed under Paul. First of all, God commanded him to leave Jerusalem. Verse 18, he says, And saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. God commanded Paul directly. He said, Paul, leave Jerusalem. And Paul declares this under the crowd. He says, it was given to me in direct revelation from God that I had to leave the city because of the Jews. Because the Jews were going to attack him. In Luke's version of these same events in chapter 9, we read that the brethren in Jerusalem, the Christians, they led Paul out of the city because they learned of this threat. Okay, if you go to chapter 9, let's just read a couple of verses there. Acts chapter 9, 
29. It says, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, that they, and, but they went about to slay him. Which, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. And so there's the same event here. We've got Paul, he's in the, in the city of Jerusalem. He's actually boldly speaking the name of the Lord. And they learn about this plot and they send him away. The brethren encourage him to leave Jerusalem. And so according to Luke's account in chapter 9, the brethren saw the threat and they moved to protect him. Here in chapter 22, Luke, um, Paul adds the fact that God actually commanded him to leave. And so both are true. God commanded him to leave and the brethren helped him to get out of the city. The second thing that this, we learn from this trance is that Paul protested this command. You look in verse 19. It says, And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believe on thee. And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting under his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. The second thing that Paul stresses from this trance is that he didn't want to leave. Now, God said to him, God said, I want you to leave Jerusalem for your own safety, leave. They're not going to listen to you. Paul responded by saying, God, I don't want to leave Jerusalem. You see, Paul believed that he could do a great work. Paul believed he could have a great influence in the city of Jerusalem. And so he reasoned with God. He reasoned with God that, you know, they know that I imprisoned and beat the Christians. They know what I've done. They know that I was there when Stephen was executed, when he was stoned to death. And so Paul thought because of that, they would now listen to him. He thought his words would carry more weight. You know, he thought that if the people were going to listen to anyone, surely it would be him. He thought his past reputation as a persecutor of the church, coupled with the dramatic change in his life, would be enough to convince the Jews. You see, Paul genuinely believed he could do a work in Jerusalem. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to show them that he was a new person and that Christ was their Messiah. He didn't want to leave. Paul's making it clear here, it wasn't his choice. He's saying, I wasn't the one. God sent me out. God told me to leave. And that brings it to the third point where Paul declares how God responded very pointedly by telling him not only to leave Jerusalem, but also to go to the Gentiles. Look in verse 21. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. How did God respond to Paul's objections? He said, Paul, you need to leave. Not only just leave Jerusalem, you need to go to the Gentiles with the message. You see, for the first time now in his defense, Paul declares that God had commissioned him to go unto the Gentile people. Before that, as I said, he'd been very general, hadn't he? That he was commissioned to, to preach unto all men. And now he mentions the Gentiles. One commentator summed up this portion of Paul's argument like this. He said, Paul's defense is that he was where the crowd is now, a persecutor and a faithful Jew, only God's direction has made him otherwise. If there is a complaint to be made about the Gentiles being included in God's promise and message, Paul 
is not to blame. God is responsible for these events. That's really what Paul's getting at. He's saying through it all, he's saying God is responsible. You're angry at me for hanging out with Gentiles. God is responsible. He's pointing to God. It's all from the God of their fathers, the God of Israel. You know, while ever Paul spoke about his calling and his ministry in purely general terms, from a Jewish perspective, the people continued to listen in silence. They didn't say a word. But as soon as he mentioned the Gentiles, what happened? Look in verse 22. And they gave him audience unto this word, so until this point, and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, they basically end up in an uproar. They got to that point. They listened quietly right up until that point, until he mentioned the Gentiles, and then they lost it with Paul once again. They erupted into a violent frenzy. You know, perhaps if Paul had not mentioned the Gentiles at that point, he might have been able to go on further. He might have been able to say more. But the point is, Paul wasn't afraid to declare all that God had told him, was he? He wasn't going to hide some of it. Sure, until this point he'd been quiet about it, but he wasn't going to to step back and not declare the truth. He wasn't going to be silent about what God had called him to do, regardless of the reaction. You see, this was the end of Paul's testimony. He only got to this point. They cut him off. He probably had a lot more to say. They cut him off. You know, Paul had sought by his defense to declare plainly and clearly what God had done in his life so that the people might be brought to the truth. That was his desire. As we saw, he gave his credentials this morning, showing that he was just like them, a pious religious Jew, a a Jew that was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He was zealous. And he recounted how he was changed by Christ on the road to Damascus. And then he declared tonight his commission from Ananias and confirmed through this vision in the temple. You know, the people really had all the evidence they needed to see that Paul was telling the truth, didn't they? The change in his life was evidence enough. And, you know, when they heard this story, they should have been listening and putting themselves in his shoes and realized that, hey, Paul is telling the truth. Christ is the Messiah. But instead, they rejected the clear evidence before them. They rejected not only Paul, but they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't they? They rejected their king. You know, we mentioned it this morning, but you know, our testimony of all the Lord has done for us is something that we should, like Paul, boldly declare unto others. It is a tool that God has given us, our testimony. Testimony not only of our salvation, but also of the change in our life and, and of his calling for us. We should want to tell others about what God has called us to do. Declare it boldly. You know, like Paul, we need to be bold and not shy away from declaring all he has done and all he is doing in our life. And you know, the reaction of men to our testimony will not always be positive. That's the thing we learn here, isn't it? It's not always positive. It doesn't matter how well we deliver our testimony. I mean, Paul was very precise, wasn't he? Very direct, very careful with his wording. And yet still, they rejected him. They rejected the truth. So the point is, men will not always receive our testimony in a positive way. 
But we have a responsibility, don't we? To be faithful, to be faithful witnesses regardless of the reaction of men. And we'll go on next week and we'll see what happens following this. Our Paul is now uh, set upon by the crowd again and then the chief captain and we'll look at everything that takes place. Uh, but let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for today, the, the fact that we've been able to study and, and consider this, this portion where Paul gives his defense. And Lord, I pray you help us all to be ready to give a reason of the hope that was, is within us, Lord, to be able to tell others of our faith, Lord, of our salvation experience, Lord, of what you've done for us and Lord, what you've now called us to do with our lives. Lord, help us to be bold in declaring the truth. Lord, no matter what the reaction of men might be, Lord, may you help us to rejoice in what you've done for us. Be bold in telling others, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.